Good day, good afternoon, good whenever it is you are listening to this. Thank you so much for listening to this. You're checking out another episode of Woke and Baked. Really quick turnaround. Today I had the opportunity to sit down with Fred Kosky. He is legitimately one of my favorite people in the world for a bunch of reasons. I'm going to tell you about them uh, a little bit here in the intro. Mostly because we didn't even really discuss who I was talking to during the podcast. We just kind of dove straight in. Fred Kosky is a public health specialist. He specializes in addiction. He's a very smart man, very uh, in-tune man, uh, very cool, caring human being. He's also... Uh, has an established track record of violence. He is a former United States Air Force Tactical Air Control Party member. Clearly, he likes to party. Uh, He is a U.S. Army Ranger certified badass. He founded the Kenai Peninsula Wolfpack Rugby Team, which uh, we've... believe we've talked maybe a little about uh, a little bit about on the podcast i uh, certainly talked about it back when i was at the radio station uh, we had dan balmer on who talked about what it is that the rugby team does on the peninsula but fred koski is the guy that started that there was no rugby team previous to that he there wasn't a whole lot of stand-up comedy either previous to fred koski and a big part of the reason that i started uh, booking shows and booking artists and trying to bring them down here was because Fred Kosky and a comedian by the name of Dave Burroughs taught me that I could. I have a great deal of respect for these two men, uh, and it was I'm very grateful to be able to sit down with Fred Kosky and kind of talk about comedy. We had planned on talking about a whole bunch of other things to include um, addiction and, and that sort of thing. But we ended up just talking about comedy for like an hour and a half, and I got a lot of insight because Fred has been doing stand-up comedy for close to 20 years. Uh, he's, he's interacted with, with a lot of the greats. He's got a lot of experience, you know, like peeling potatoes in the comedy world. And we'll get into that, uh, that restaurant analogy inside of the podcast, so it'll make a whole lot more sense. All right. There are a lot of big things coming on, uh, going on on the horizon. Uh, if you are a podcaster or you want to start a podcast and you're on the Kenai Peninsula, please reach out to me. If you are not on the Kenai Peninsula and you would like to have a podcast or a show, please reach out to me. We're working on something here with Red Run Media, and we would like you to be a part of it. Uh, this is like real community radio in the realest and truest sense. We are reaching out to you, the, the listening community, uh, community, and saying who wants to do their own thing. And then we're kind of letting you do your own thing. It's that simple. All right. So enough about that. I do have to get into some bill paying real quick before we get into the really cool long sit down interview with Fred Kosky. All right. Shout out to Iron Asylum. I was there today working on, uh, well, working on myself, working on my brain, uh, working on my body, doing some cardio, lifting some weights, uh, working on just trying to be a physically better me today uh, than I was yesterday, or at least trying to go through the steps of, of at least in that regard, becoming a better uh, a better person, at least a better, a better me, more functional, uh, more mobile. Like you, I've got a lot of aches and pains, so like you, I've got to do a whole lot of stretching. And so Iron Asylum is one of the places that I go, not just to do stretching, because you can stretch at home, but when I'm looking to lift weights and do some resistance work, that is a place that I can go. And it is a place that has great supplements, by the way. Redcon 1, if you're not familiar with their supplements, they do they make some really, really good shit. I use um, 
I use their, their whey isolate, uh, whey isolate, I believe it's called isotope. Uh, it is chocolate peanut butter. Throw it in my, uh, my coffee in the morning, about 20 grams. That's a Tim Ferriss life hack. I didn't come up with that on my own, but apparently you should put something in your body as soon as you wake up, but you don't necessarily need to put in some greasy eggs or anything like that. You can probably just do it with some, some protein in your coffee. I'm probably not even doing it right. There's probably a much better, more efficient way to do that. And, and we'll talk to Nikki Russell from CrossFit Certitude about that I'm sure at a much later date but Iron Asylum is where I go to do my heavy lifting my brain heavy lifting figuring out what I've got to do with the house all of that shit that gets done at Iron Asylum I go there I work on the things that I need to work on uh, in my mind I get on that on that treadmill and I go into a repetitive place where I can figure out what the fuck it is that I need to do throughout the day and then I do it all right and it's uh and, and when I'm lifting the weights it's very much the same thing. These are the things that I know that I need to do uh, if I want my uh, my upper body to be stronger, if I want my lower body to be stronger. And then uh, I, I also ask questions of experts. Brandon Miller will be back sometime soon to talk about uh, ways to make your lower body stronger. But you know, enough about Iron Asylum. You know where to look them up online. If not, um, then you can go to their website. You go to their website. I couldn't tell you what their website is because I should be better about that. In fact, the next time I do this, I'll be able to tell you what their website is. But if you go to DuckDuckGo, because we're not fucking with Google anymore, DuckDuckGo, and you punch in Iron Asylum Gym Alaska, you will probably get their website. Now, that being said, they have an Instagram that I follow because they post some really funny shit, and they're posting videos now. Brandon has now decided that he is uh, he is making his own movies. He is a film director. And God damn it, if I'm not going to support my friend when he's doing something cool. So check them out on Instagram. Check out the videos that Brandon is doing over at Iron Asylum. They're also expanding. They're getting bigger. Brandon, Brandon's the shit. I love that guy. Uh, and they are making Iron Asylum. They're doubling the size. So if you thought Iron Asylum had a lot going on now, they're going to have a lot going on in the future. Now, I, I have no idea what his plans are for what he's going to put in the gym. Uh, so don't ask me, because I'm not going to tell you. If he did tell me, I wouldn't tell you, unless he told me I was okay to tell you. In which case, I'll, I'll spill that uh, that plate of beans. All right, Iron Asylum, look them up on, on Instagram. Look them up on Facebook. Look for them for product reviews as well. They'll let you know what is a, what is and isn't a waste of your time, and Brandon does it in a way that's really, really funny. So some of the most interesting and entertaining product reviews for products on the Kenai Peninsula will be brought to you by Brandon Miller of Iron Asylum. And for no other reason, if you don't even have to like working out, you can fucking hate meatheads. I don't give a shit. Follow him because he's funny. All right, uh, 5150 Vapes, located in Soldatna. They're, they're your vape super center. If you are into vaping, like if you're into vaping like I'm into cannabis, then you want to go to the place that has the best selection and the best prices on the things that you are looking for. Because if they're not giving you the best prices and the best selection, they are wasting your time, especially in this age uh, when you can go to the internet and order for yourself. That being said, you're not gonna find a lot of better prices than you're going to find at 5150 Vapes. If you're into vaping, if you are looking for the best tasting juices uh, that aren't peanut butter, because apparently Dave at 5150 is so allergic to peanuts that even uh, peanut butter vape will uh, will likely kill him. So uh, 
if you hate Dave, sneak some peanut butter in there. That being said, uh, if you are not into vaping peanut butter flavored stuff, they're going to have what you're looking for. Uh, Seth is, uh, is a wizard with the coils. If you have coil questions, if you have any questions about your vapes, talk to Dave, talk to Seth. They are professionals. Wade, he knows what he's doing. And, and H-Town tie. They are professionals. They are all about their vape knowledge. Uh, they are all about giving you the best customer service experience, and they are all about you shopping local because they shop local. We all shop local. It's a small town. What other options do you have? You go to the box store when you have to, but otherwise, you, you go to you know like Maggie's General Store if you want some kombucha or uh, any of the other local spots that have kombucha. If you know a local store other than Maggie's that has kombucha, please let me know. All right. <coughs> Speaking of stuff I love, Red Run Cannabis Company, located on the Kenai Peninsula. Now, I know what you're saying, Bill. Don't you tend butt over there? Yes, I do. They gainfully employ me, and they give me a studio to podcast out of. So, yeah, they sponsor the podcast. They show me a whole lot of love, and I show them a whole lot of love because there is a whole lot of love in cannabis, and there are a whole lot of douchebags in cannabis. One of the things that I've learned in the cannabis industry is that a lot of a lot of the people behind the industry are kind of, um, at least in other states, very much sort of like hedge fundy, corporate, no-face types. However, the state of Alaska is, is so that the public faces of your company are all people that you know. For example, like Mark Tyler of Red Run Cannabis Company is someone you can follow on, on Facebook and you can see what he is about and then you can see what they are about in their products. So if you are interested in Red Run Cannabis Company or any of their products to include uh, Hashade, their recent uh, batch of, I believe is the, uh, the Royal Gorilla out of Warner Brothers Horticulture, it might be Royal Gorilla. It might not be Royal Gorilla. It could be some other strain, but just test it out at 99% cannabinoids. That's a lot of THC. All right, so I just checked and it is definitely Royal Gorilla crumble testing out at 99% cannabinoids. That's a lot of it's a lot of cannabis. All right. Newest sponsor of the show, shout out to the, Smith, uh, the Schnitzel, not, not the Schmitzel Bomber, the Schnitzel Bomber, uh, located also on K-Beach. A lot of Californski love on this show. All right, the Schnitzel Bomber is a German comfort food, not really a food cart, but it's a, it's not a, it's a drive-up restaurant. Uh, years ago, it was Maria's, but for the last couple of years, it's been the Schnitzel Bomber. I am a big, big fan of their food. And they have a sandwich named after me. Y you can't buy that kind of love. So uh, shout out to the Schnitzel Bomber. Go check them out. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. They also pretty funny in uh, their social media posts. So check out what their specials are. See what you're into. See what they're into. And one of my favorite things about them is you can go up there and just kind of ask them to freestyle something for you. And they'll do it. They'll just make something cool. If you want it keto-friendly, they will make you a cool, on-the-spot, freestyled, keto-friendly meal that you will enjoy. I'm not going to promise that you'll enjoy it because, you know, your, your tastes are different than mine. But I've never not enjoyed it. So, uh, with that being said, right. well, then, with that being said, this being their first podcast, we might end up keeping the, the practice audio to see where see where our levels are. Cool. Just because it's funnier that way. Sure. All right. So, uh, then, without getting into who you are or why you are here, what was your favorite movie as a kid? Favorite movie as a kid? I mean, 
the Star Wars, like the Star Wars trilogy, the original, that was the one I obsessed over. But I think I grew up in kind of that golden age of like uh, mid to late 80s cinema. So, I mean, the Indiana Jones movies uh, came out when I was a kid and I freaking loved those. Princess Bride, I think, was just is still probably one of my top rewatchable movies. I can rewatch The Princess Bride two, three times a year. Easy. Yeah. Um, but I don't think, I don't know. I've never been much one on like favorites necessarily. I don't have like a favorite thing or, or anything like that. There are things that speak to me and things that don't and things I'll drop for a little while and then find myself coming back to. So see, I I think that the Goonies for me is, I'm going to move my mic a little bit for me. It's, um, kind of like the Godfather 2 of kids movies. Like yeah. It's the, the greatest kids movie of all time. And I, I say that because Godfather 2 is, I think, much better movie than, than the first Godfather. Clearly Godfather 3, because that yeah. was a big steaming piece of shit. We don't even acknowledge it. It doesn't need to exist. <laughs> um, we don't need the weird back and forth between um, uh, Andy Garcia wanting to shack up with his cousin, uh, who is the son of Michael Corleone, and then Michael Corleone kind of being okay with her shacking up with Sonny's illegitimate child. Which I've, I've, I've forgotten that that was even a plot point in that movie. It's been so long since I've seen it. That was yeah. the biggest plot yeah, point in the movie the for me. Plot point, yeah. Um, you know, like the best parts of of that movie seem to be, and I keep in mind, I haven't watched it in a long time. Like I bought the trilogy just because the first the two first two were there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but. I think, if I recall correctly, when they they shot up the mob meeting with a helicopter, like they used a helicopter, I think that <laughs> yeah. was in the third one. Yeah, that and was, that was in the probably third one. the best scene in the movie uh, because um, everyone gets shot up yeah. from a helicopter. Sure. Um, and and I don't think that that scene would have happened necessarily uh, without Die Hard coming before it. Yeah. No. So, yeah. So we wouldn't have gotten. We wouldn't have been forced to. Uh, I mean, Francis Ford Coppola would not have shoved that piece of shit down our throat <laughs> if, um, if not for the Germans taking over the tower in not LA. Domi Plaza. Yes. Also, my favorite Christmas movie. But the uh, great, great Christmas movies. <laughs> it, it kind of upset me when. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like the third one. I thought the third one, uh, the third Die Hard, is probably the third, uh, or is like the best. Uh, part three of all time next to maybe uh police academy three because i think that's the one with david spade yeah i think you're right yeah um, uh, well i think with the diehards it's you go odd numbers and then like that's how it works because diehard one was great diehard two not so great and then diehard three brought it back and then i think every, everything from that point on was just it just got more and more ridiculous now which one had the father from family matters oh that was diehard one yeah Carl Winslow. Yeah. 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 That was number one. He was the cop on the ground. Yeah. That yeah. guy is, uh, he's a great cop. Yeah. He's, uh, he should be, uh, if Carl Winslow is still alive, and I, I haven't heard anything about Carl mm. Winslow no longer being with us, but if he is still alive, I think that um, if, if we can deep fake an entire series, if we could make him just about every cop in The Wire. Yeah. I would. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think The Wire is probably one of the best TV shows of all time. Have you, have you seen it? I've seen the first season. Okay. Yeah. It's one of those shows that, uh, like, we're in this, like, renaissance of TV now. So there's all the shows that you missed when they were first out, right, yeah. that are now available that I need to get caught up on. For instance, have never seen an episode of The Sopranos, and yet everyone keeps telling me I need to. <sighs> but we keep getting locked into all these other great shows, and then there's only so much time in a day. 
Agreed. And then a lot of these shows, you know, we got the kids at home too. So a lot of them, it's just like, you got to wait till they go to bed. And then by the time they go to bed, it's like, shit, now it's time for me to go to bed because I'm tired. Well, and that's why I think that it's important to introduce your children to the Sopranos early uh, <laughs> so that when they're old enough to understand the Saints of Newark, uh, that uh, they fully comprehend it. Now, I think I'm going to start sitting down with my my 14 year old to watch The Sopranos, sure. so that so that he can understand the relationship that Tony has with Tony Jr. Sure. Because uh, why not? Yeah. Uh, there's uh, if you haven't seen, and you said you haven't seen The Sopranos, great TV mm -hmm. show. It's one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Like there was this time in like the late 90s, early 2000s, where um, HBO was knocking it out of the park with everything. And I think that part of that is because you had to pay for it because it was a premium, uh, a premium show on a premium channel. I think that just about any time they give you something, it's garbage. If you look at TV shows that are on like those on network TV shows mm -hmm. that they're, they're shoved down our throat like they're supposed to be magical, but it's kind of like recycled garbage from someplace else. Um, and they're giving it to you. Would you trust the meal if it was just given to you by a, by a corporation? If McDonald's came and said, no, no, we are going to provide free meals to your children. Would you trust that the quality would be there? Yeah. Would you trust that they were, that the kids were getting a, a nutritious meal? Or would you be more inclined now to, to definitely make your kids lunch and send them in with that? Yeah, um, no, that's definitely a good point. I also think with HBO for, for a while there, they were just taking more risks. They were allowing showrunners to, uh, to make the shows that they wanted to make rather than trying to pigeonhole something into, into what would appeal to the lowest common denominator, which is where network TV kind of has to, they, that that's where they make their bread and butter. Right. Right? And that's why I think so much now you get like the, the biggest network TV shows are things like the bachelor and yeah. you know, the, these reality TV shows that just kind of suck people in. Um, but yeah, because I remember right around that time, that's when they were making Deadwood. That's when they made Rome. I mean, that's when The Wire was on the air, and I missed The and Wire. Rome, yeah, Rome, Rome was, was Rome was great. Yeah, Rome is one of my favorite shows of all time, and and I feel like, uh, you know, a lot of people bemoan that it ended after what two seasons or three seasons. I think Deadwood was two. Three. Rome was three. Um, with both of those, people bemoan the fact that they ended. But I almost feel like that's the best thing that can happen to a show is to end right as it's really starting to hit its stride and then it can exist in that realm forever and never move on to suck you know yeah I and mean? it's like i was a huge fan of <clears throat> uh, west wing early on and the, you know when aaron sorkin was a showrunner and it just after he left and moved on to, to other things west wing just took you took a noticeable dive in regards to writing stories and it just lost me and it kind of sad that th that's those are the seasons of west wing that exist um i always feel like as much as I was upset when Firefly went off the air, I almost feel like the best thing that could have ever, ever happened was for Firefly to exist in one season and one season only. I've heard that exact same argument made for why Biggie is the greatest rapper of all time, because he didn't have an opportunity to make to make an album that sucked. Right. So, so we had to wait until he passed away. Um, uh, to for Puffy to help make those albums that sucked, and <laughs> right. and now we have those records that suck, and he's just like everyone else. We can right. take him off of that that pillar. Yeah. All right. Um, 
This is, by the way, Ben, the coolest level check that I've ever done. This is <laughs> sticking you. around. This this will be like an This might just be, we might keep this as the uh, beginning. Going back to the Goonies, uh, yes. you brought that up. Uh, Amber and I were just recently, last summer, we went to, on a trip down the Oregon coast and we were in Astoria and I, I forced her to do the the unofficial impromptu Goonies walking tour. Yeah. Yeah. It was fantastic. Okay. So uh, are there any cool signs on the houses, like stay off our property? No, although the house that is Mikey's house, uh, they're really, they can, the, I think the owners of it can be really snarky about it. And so they like, you're not allowed to hang out outside too much and take pictures. So we caught a quick selfie and then took off because we'd heard on online that a lot that the owners can get pretty upset uh, about that. And I'm thinking just like, then why buy the house? Yeah, you knew that when you yeah. bought the yeah, house. You knew that was Mikey's house. Like, it's- why wouldn't you... Like, why wouldn't you just embrace that? Like, to me, I get that it'd be annoying. I'm not a big fan of strangers walk, but when you own a piece you of like new iconography, yeah. you can't just like expect people to, to leave it. Yeah, no one, no one was looking at that house when they watched Goonies and thought, that's where I want to live when I, you bought the fucking house yeah. because it was Mikey's house. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? I would, I would love to take a video there and actually have the owner of the house yelling at me because I think that would make it more special. If she's hitting me with a stick while I'm trying to take a selfie, a selfie and I can get that perfect that's right. even better it's a more more spectacular yeah if you can get a goonies never die in there then yeah it's, you could die a happy man yeah hell yeah especially if i get a assaulted while i'm trespassing because that really is the story of the goonies they it had is. no they had no business being in not in uh, any in, of the places they were there were the abandoned restaurant on the coast shouldn't have been there there they were there they were yeah and and that's how we get all of this mm-hmm. and uh and that's how you end up on the receiving end of all the 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 frustration of mama for telly mm-hmm yeah. Yeah. Oh, Joey, uh, Joey Pant- Pantaleonis, Joey yeah. Pants of The Matrix, also in The Goonies. Yeah. 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 By the, the way, Telly Brothers. Uh, some of the uh, some of the greatest actors in, of our time uh, were in uh, that film. Yeah. Martha Plimpton. Plimpton? Is that her last name? Yes. Yeah. And then, well, yeah, Josh Brolin. Uh, Josh in his Brolin first movie, who, right? That was his It was one of his, first? it was either yeah. that or, or, um, or uh, Rad. Not Rad. Rad was the BMX movie. Thrasher. He played Corey Webster. Yeah, you went deep into the IMDb, like yeah. So, so, um, so Josh, uh, Josh Brolin, one of his early films, he played a guy by the name of Corey Webster, and it was like it was Goonies and Thrasher. Those were and Brad apparently was was another one of those movies, but he played uh, a skateboarder. I want to say not Lori Laughlin, but like one some pretty blonde chick from the '80s was in it. Was this the skateboard movie that culminated with the giant skateboard race down a massive yes. hill, like a slow? Yeah, yeah, yes. I have seen that. It was like that and Gleaming the Cube just kind of merged together into my well, brain. Two of the <laughs> greatest examples of skateboard cinema, or oh, oh, those especially two like the the mid to like late '80s skateboard scene where the boards were still these massive chunks of wood with a twenty pound. Skateboards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did he have like a like a uh, like an aluminum like a like a like a steel like a diamond cut aluminum skateboard in gleaming the? Cube? It would not surprise me if that were the case. We need to go back and look at that. Yeah. But I'm fairly certain that might be one of those movies. So one of the things we're working on now with the podcast is is movie reviews. So the next movie we're doing is um oh the first movie we're doing is called Above Majestic, and we're gonna sit down and we're gonna watch this movie, and uh, it's about uh, secret space programs. It's got Nazi moon bases, all kinds of... By the way, you're more than welcome to sit down and join us 
uh, for, for to, to throw in your 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 opinion, but yeah, so we're gonna start doing movie reviews, and one of the things we might do is go back and watch some of these classic films that we've probably forgotten. Those films that kind of run together for us, yeah. Um, because why not? Like there were some really great gangster films in the in the late eighties. Like there was like a Frank Nitty one. There was Mobsters with uh, going back to Christian Slater. I think Patrick Dempsey played Meyer Lansky. Um, yeah, so like four young mobsters. Yeah, my, Patrick Dempsey was Meyer Lansky. I think um, uh, Christian Slater was Lucky Luciano. Yeah. <laughs> it's great that you had Christian Slater playing. Yeah, well, Christian yeah. Slater was... The whitest man in America. Yeah. And, right. and a guy that is known for solving crimes or committing them. Gleaming the Cube solved his brother's murder. Not to ruin it for anybody. Um, mobsters. He's a mobster. Uh, Cuffs, again, a detective. Yeah. Who, by the way, in Cuffs, his brother was Stephen Bauer, who was in uh, Scarface. Uh, I have no frame of reference for that name. Uh, okay, so the handsome dude in Scarface that wasn't Al Pacino. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. The really, really handsome guy right, that right, was right. Married, ended up married to... Spoiler alert. Scarface <laughs> dies at the end. He also kills his best friend who ends up married to his sister. It's kind of tragic. There's also a weird subplot between um, Tony and his sister and some weird sort of family sexual thing. I guess they must have been from like South Cuba, Southern Cuba. Yeah. 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 That checks out. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> um, so we brought you in today. We uh, we brought you in today for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, one of them, one of the things that I, I kind of wanted to talk to is like one of your babies. And before we go into like the deep, heavy stuff, sure. Um, one of your one of your children, really, uh, the Kenai River Wolf Pack. Yeah. yeah. Um. The so, team. Yeah. Yeah. How did that start? How did that come to be? Um. Yeah, so I moved to the peninsula back in 2003, and I had played rugby in high school. Um, and when I was in the military, would pick up rugby games here and there when I could, and really enjoyed playing rugby. I thought it was a lot of fun, and then moved to the peninsula, and there was just no rugby presence. Um, so I reached out to the... Alaska Rugby Union, um, specifically a guy named John Olson of the Bird Creek Barbarians, and just kind of asked him if he knew of any rugby programs going on in the peninsula, and he said that he didn't, but that if I wanted to get something started, uh, he and the Barbos would throw whatever support they could my way. And then I just started hanging flyers around town and got some response. Um, in those early days, it was, I mean, it's, it's been difficult keeping the team going and I haven't been as involved this year as I have been in previous years. Um, but I hung flyers and then got the first group of guys to come out and throw the ball around and play. And, uh, that first year, I think we had a core group of maybe six or seven dudes. And then um, the Anchorage unions were great and kind of throwing some support our way. We had our first unofficial tournament down here uh, in August. Shit, that was like eight, nine years ago now. Um, and then I just kept growing from there. I mean, key guys came on board uh, that kind of helped grow it because if it was just me give him uh, a shout out gonna happen yeah uh, there was brendan shifley uh shout out to brendan shifley yeah brendan was instrumental in getting the funding and kind of uh bringing all the logistics of it together uh jason young who uh 
had played rugby in Wisconsin and through college and kind of all over the place, uh, saw our flyer hanging up, um, when he was getting coffee one day. So he came out and he, he brought a lot of uh, experience to the team, um, those in those early days. And then it just kind of grew from there. The guy right now, Dan Balmer kind of took over operations for me. Shout out to Dan Balmer and all the things that he does between, I mean, he does the, the, the dip net fest. He does the rugby team. Um, but he also does like all of his stuff with boys and girls club. Yeah. I think he runs that he, or he he's part of that STEM program there, which I think is great. Yeah. yeah. He's beautiful human being. Yeah, shout Dan's out, a shout good out guy. to Dan Balmer. Yeah. Um, investigative journalist yeah. to the stars. <laughs> that's right. I forgot. That's what he moved here to, to, to initially pursue is that yeah. journalism career. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if, if you are a, a listener of the podcast, I'll have you know that I've tried to get Dan on and he, he fights me on this tooth and nail, but, but we are going to get him writing again. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. He's, he, I remember when he was working with the Clarion, he was he's a very good writer. What's his hesitation of coming on? Um, he, I, I don't know. He, he, we really kind of haven't got into why he doesn't want to come on. We love sitting down. We love talking. We, we go. We've gone through. We've gone through walks in the woods, which is what you're supposed to do with your male friends. Sure. Yeah. Um, you're, you're not friends until you walk through the woods. Yeah. That- um. So with that being said, like I don't know what what is keeping him from coming on now. When I was uh, when I was at the radio station. Um, he, had, he came on, uh, once or twice to talk about, uh, the, the, uh, the tournament and, and stuff. But as far as coming on the podcast, I think that a lot of it comes down to, uh, sitting down in kind of a long format and, and shooting the shit. But the conversation that I have with anyone before they come on is like, we're just two people having a conversation and eventually we're going to get to what we got here to, to, to talk about. Sure. Um, but it's just a matter of breaking that down and, and getting comfortable. I think a lot of it is he's, he's comfortable with the written word. And so. If it's if it's being able to write out your thoughts and ideas and and present it like that, he's probably more comfortable than just like brain vomiting uh, ideas out. That makes sense. Although you I mean you guys have conversations in general, I think you're just gonna have to like gorilla cast it and just secretly record him in like one of your walks. Just the Linda Tripp. Yeah. 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 That yeah. might be the way to get Dan on a podcast. Yeah, I'm gonna dress up like yeah. Linda Tripp when I do it too. So if he doesn't figure it out, it's his fault. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So speaking of like brain vomiting, um, you've been doing stand up for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to like the writing process, like do you do you know when you, you've hit a situation that is like funny enough to, to tell or do you ever worry about? Well, let's start with that one. Like, do you like how do you know something is funny when when you have the idea? Like, yeah, I don't. <laughs> that's the that's the struggle with the writing process i mean every now and then you'll stumble into into something that you know it's just a good bit um and you kind of work it and play with it but for the most part you're just kind of my threshold and i think i i can't speak for any other stand-up but for me it's always like did it make me laugh initially and then if it made me laugh initially then i figure okay well it's got to make somebody else laugh too and then uh, and then just trying it out. That's, that's kind of the thing with stand up is you don't know if anything's really funny until you've done it in front of an audience. And even then there's constant tweaking and reworking. So it's just, uh, trying to get it in as, in, in, as, in the front of as many audiences as possible and just hoping that it works and kind of figuring out why something doesn't work and, and then tweaking it from there. So uh, I've had Cass Smiley on, and one of the tools that she's recommended is like recording yourself, recording your stand-up bits, uh, like just having your phone on and, and being able to, to listen and see where people's reactions were. Um, when, when you do that, do you feel like 
Do you ever, do you ever feel like I'm taking away from the, from, from the, uh, the original point of the joke or do you, or like, how do you know whether or not you've cut too much? Like, or do you, can you reshape the joke? I mean, like, it's different from sculpting. Like, you know, once you take off that gigantic chunk of rock and it's frowned upon to super glue it back. Yeah. Um, yeah. And actually recording yourself is great. What I tend to do is I bring a video camera to all my sets and tape and it's for the same reason. It's, uh, it's so I can see, cause sometimes you get up in front of a crowd and you aren't you have the sense that that joke killed, but you go back and watch it and you realize like, no, that wasn't as, it was just one really loud laugh in the front row. And that's what I was hearing on stage or, uh, or you'll, you'll feel opposite. You'll feel like there's a, a joke that just bombed on stage. But then when you go back and rewatch it, you realize it got some laughs. I don't think you can kill a joke by over editing. I think that it's kind of like, I think rather than sculpting, it's more like painting as you, there is a certain point where you need to know when, when to stop fucking with it. Right. There is a point where you just kind of say, all right, uh, the joke exists probably in its best format, but, uh, right now, and then you have the bare bones of it and then things can happen on stage that kind of either inspirational strike you, or you'll kind of hit something from an audience, uh, you know, and you'll pick up on their energy and then you'll kind of tweak a joke a certain way. Like I, I did this whole bit for a while about getting into, uh, into the wrong truck right because as you've seen my vehicle there's a lot of my exact same vehicle on the peninsula and I, I i was at the store one day and was distracted and got into a truck that looked exactly like mine and the whole bit is about the fact that it took me way too long to recognize that i wasn't in my own vehicle but there was one point i was on stage at a, at a show in homer and like i'm doing this bit i kind of do the whole thing i talk about this thing about where i apologize to the truck for some reason because i do that with inanimate objects but then i just kind of right at the end of it i just blurted out hashtag trucks too and hadn't written it before it was just one of those things in the moment and it did really well in homer and then since then i've tried it a few uh, a few different times and it never quite got quite the reaction it did then i think because now it's part of the written joke whereas there it was off the cuff so it's one of those things where i think the like the audience could sense that it was off the cuff and so i've tried adding it into that bit before and it never gets quite the same reaction um so i don't know if i answered your question at all but i do think yeah it, I don't know that there's a point where you know it. I think as a comic, you're constantly looking to, to, to find a way to create the best possible bit to get the best possible laughter from it consistently. And you just kind of know when you found that. And if you haven't, you're constantly reworking. And there are times where you just got to give up on a bit. I've, I've had numerous bits where it just, I've tried to make them work. I've tried to, to, you know, I think they're funny, but for whatever reason, I can't get them to, to click for me on stage. Um, and so I've had to completely abandon bits before. Um, yeah, it's definitely like, I don't think people realize how much thought goes into stand-up comedy because most of the best stand-ups make it look so effortless, but the amount of rehearsal and writing and editing and off the cuff and everyone's got their own process. But I think it's definitely, uh, I, I think it's something that, that people tend to underestimate is that people think like, oh, you're a naturally funny person. So you must be able to go up and be funny in front of a crowd. And those are two very different things. Um, so what is the best piece of advice that, that you've received, uh, from, from working comics regarding, um, the writing process or, or performing in front of crowds or, or anything really? I mean, there's a lot of good comedy advice that you get from people and you kind of have to pick and choose because some comics are trying to mold you into a version of them. And some, some comics will tell you like what they think is funny, but, uh, I think the thing I got 
that that has that has helped me is that uh, comedy is very much like track and field, and that it's technically a team event, right? When you're on a show with a group of people, you're trying to put on the best show as possible. But it really is an individual sport, right? And there's competition internally within comics. And uh, and I remember it was way back in the day, I got the, the opportunity to work a few shows with a guy named Kermit Apio, um, who is a touring comic, has been around for a long time. Um, you know, every now and then you'll see him up on one of those like dry bar comedy things that comes up on Facebook. But what he told me is like, don't focus so much on being the funniest guy on a night don't focus so much on being uh the funniest person on any set that you're on work on being consistent and work on being professional because those are the things that are going to get you bookings that's what's going to help that's what people are going to remember because you can be riotously funny but if you're kind of a dick to the booker or if the, the club promoter didn't have a good experience with you it's harder you know, you just have to work that much harder to get back into uh, a show that that person's putting on. So consistency and, and professionalism were the things that he kind of, you know, he kind of sat me down. Um, and then at one point he did share with me. So I, I had, when I was got my start in Tacoma, probably about six or seven months after going to my first open mic, I got approached to host a couple of shows from some local comics. Um, and I did a pretty decent job hosting them. And then next thing I knew I was getting a lot of gigs, but they were all hosting gigs. It was, you know, the guy that goes up at the beginning, warms up a cold audience and then brings all the comics up on stage. Right. And introduces them. And Kermit also told me, it's good to be good at hosting, but don't get too good at it because then your entire career, you're just going to be hosting. You'll never get a chance to build up to your 15 minutes, your 20 minutes and your hour, because people are just going to bring you on as a host because you're good at it. So, uh, that for me really, cause I kind of pushed, uh, it gave me the impetus to kind of push for more like, Hey, I've hosted for you like four or five times now. What do you think about having me on as a feature, you know, instead of, instead of as a host and let's bring somebody else up. Um, but yeah, those, those are probably the pieces of advice that really helped me in my career. And then of course, what you hear everybody's is just, you've got to constantly be writing just constantly. What tools do you use for writing? Yeah. So I don't write in the traditional sense of writing things out. Cause, um, for some reason, and this is me personally, when I read my jokes on paper, they're not funny. It just sucks the humor right out of them. Um, so I actually, uh, I used to just talk them out loud and then try to write outlines really quickly, but voice record on your phone now has been one of the best tools that I've come up with because I'll hit ideas when I'm driving or when I'm just kind of out and about and to be able to just kind of quickly record both the idea for the bit um, and then long drives like on your commute to and from work to be able to just kind of sound it out and see like how it sounds out loud and then play it for somebody and see if they laugh. Like that tool for me has been, uh, probably the most useful as far as my writing process goes. Um, and then, yeah. So I bring a notebook with me everywhere. I use voice notes and, and if you're at home listening, you've got ideas that you need to work out. Like these are, you don't have to be a comedian. These are just tools for the things that you want. If it's a to-do list for shit around the house, it helps if you have a list of things that you need to accomplish ahead of you so that it feels good when you check them off and, and it helps to see what you have to do. Like these are just ideas and, and you figure out your own process along the way for what it is that you're trying to do. Um, so, um, so here's a question going back to, to hosting. Um, 
is that sort of like the the peeling the potatoes of like the stand-up comedy world like chefs start in the kitchen peeling potatoes and peeling carrots is like hosting or hosting and open mics really kind of the same thing no, hosting is definitely different. Hosting is if you're going to we're going to carry your restaurant analogy, right? Hosting is more like you're the maitre d', right? You're you're not the one getting the tips for doing the service, but you're also not really doing the hardest job of the night, right? But it's definitely it can be thankless. Uh, everyone likes a good host, but no one no one goes to a, sh- a comedy show from an audience's perspective and goes, "Man, that host was phenomenal," right? Because it's just weird threading the needle. Uh, open mics are kind of the peeling the potatoes, uh, you know, washing the dishes of, of the comedy world. That's really where you pay your dues is, uh, especially in, in, in areas where there's a more established comedy scene, like Alaska is kind of different because the scene is so far isolated from the lower 48 that, you know, we don't get very many headliners coming through. Whereas, you know, when I got started at the Tacoma underground, that was kind of my home comedy club. And then Seattle wasn't that far a drive. So we, and they would do open mics, two open mics a week, one in Tacoma, one in Seattle. So we used to go to both. Um, and you would see the guy headlining the Tacoma underground. And sometimes they would be at the open mic. Sometimes they'd even host the open mic. So, um, uh, I remember, uh, Pretty early on, Doug Stanhope came and he was headlining at the Tacoma Underground one weekend. By the way, Doug Stanhope is a big listener of the Woken Big. Is he? I don't think so. Oh, okay. I don't think he's ever heard. It, of this. It, it, it wouldn't surprise me if Doug was. Um, and I met him the once. I am by no mean, uh, no means indicating that we are friends or that he'd remember me at all. But you're not Matt Collins. Yeah, yeah, exactly. By the way, shout out to Matt Collins. Matt, Collins. I was, I was going to interrupt you and say, well, you've never been to a show that Matt Collins has hosted, but I know that's a lie. Yeah. Um, Matt Collins, if you've never, if you're at home and you've never been to a Matt Collins hosted event, you should do that before you die. Yeah, Matt's um, a great host, but he's also been doing stand up a really for long fucking time. ever. Like, he, yeah. you know, you know, he's he's uh, seasoned. He's uh, they're 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 we're blessed in Alaska, and this one of the problems with being up here, but one of the many blessings of it is that you do have guys and, and gals uh, like Cass, like Angie Stubbs. Um, we're reaching out and, and bringing these folks up. Yeah. Um, but then, then beyond that, they're putting in the hours and, and doing the, the open mics. So for, for better or for worse, we're getting a whole, we're, we're getting a host of a bunch of different comedians to include guys like, like Ben Stoltz, Joe, uh, Ben, Ben Stoltz, Joe Stoltz, uh, Ben Farley. You're getting a whole bunch of, uh, a bunch of young comedians that are, that are coming, uh, from that and, and paying their dues. You, I think that down here, it's a bummer that we don't have a regular open mic. Um, yeah, and it's actually something that I'd like to kind of pursue a little bit more because I think there are venues that are open. I actually think that uh, that downstairs room in Michael's would be perfect for a comedy club because it's got its own. If you've never been down there, it's their banquet room. It has its own bar. It's It feels like a comedy club and that it's kind of tight, kind of dark. Um and they, it's perfectly set up for it. It's just a matter of, uh, of reaching out to them, which I'm planning on doing. Um, because I do think an open mic here, because I've been to a couple of things where, you know, when there are contests or when Chelsea McDonald was down here doing her thing with Keenet Performers, uh, you know, her comedy workshop, there have been people that have come out that have never done it before that just anywhere you live, there's always you know, a handful of people that wanted to try stand up and you need to give them a venue to do it. Um, 
So it's one of the things I'm hoping to do, particularly with Matt Plant, just because his passion right now is trying to get anything going down here. He's just trying to get people out of the house. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I I was just having a conversation with him because he's been uh, putting me on a lot of the shows he's been doing lately. And it's been a lot of fun. And he himself is is developing his comedy and and is a genuinely funny guy. Also, one of the nicest people you can see. Sweetie. He's a fucking sweetie. Uh, But, you know, we were having this conversation that we all complain about how there's nothing to do around here but he you know when people go out on a limb and try to to provide you something to do it's so hard to drum up support so i've you know uh so i fully support everything matt's been trying to do with the comedy thing and with his fights just because he's out there doing the work and he's putting his money you know on the line i mean he's this is his full-time gig now so he's really trying to make something work and i think the only way to get more things down here is to support people like matt that are trying to get things going um and yeah it's absolutely a thing within within alaska that's a unique comedy culture but it's created its own comedy culture right but uh you know go back to the original question about open mics and, and hosting and all that open mics in the lower 48 that's where you pay your due someone sees you at an open mic and they go oh this guy's kind of funny let's put him on as a host so that's kind of your next level up um but hosting's a tricky gig because you have to be funny because you're warming up a cold audience and your job is to get that audience ready for the first comic, right? Because a cold audience can be really brutal. Um, so your job as the host is to represent the club, to represent the comedians that are coming up, to get the audience warmed up and ready to go, to make any announcements. And then from that point on, you have to recognize nothing else in the show is about you, right? Because your natural tendency as a comic, because all comics at some level we're narcissistic attention whores and so otherwise we wouldn't be doing that yeah. uh, that particular gig i gave myself a podcast yeah, yeah. Exact same reason. <laughs> and so um so you know your natural tendency when you have a really good set that's going and you kind of can feel the audience energy with you is to kind of ride that out and push it a little bit but your job as a host is to stop right there and bring your next comic up so sometimes you'll plan on doing five minutes of material as a host typically it's anywhere from three to five minutes you'll get three minutes in you realize the audience is there and your job now is to bring the next comic up so they benefit from that energy and then your job through the rest of the night is to kind of maintain that energy or be the bridge between, you know, if you've got someone like Angie Stubbs, who's a clean comic and is very funny, very high energy, but it, she's a clean comic. And then you're bringing up Cass Smiley, who is decidedly not a clean comic and has a different energy and a different vibe. Your job as the host is to act as the bridge between the audience for those two people, because it can be, uh, distracting for an audience sometimes, uh, if if you have to switch comedic directions really quickly, sometimes the audience is a little bit slower on the uptake. If you have a big drastic change in comedic styles like that or comedic energy and your job as the host is to like, okay, what's, what can I do to get, the How do audience, I get that you know, there to transition them from Angie into someone more like Cass or you're a DJ. Yeah. You're, you're a DJ. You're trans yeah. and you're transitioning from two very different songs. You're going from like, you're going from, um, uh, you know, a Jimmy Buffett song to Slayer and you've got to be, and how do you mix those two? And how do you, how do you prepare people to go from one end of yeah. the spectrum, uh, to the other? Yeah. Or, you know, if you've got someone like Matt Collins, who's very high energy, really kind of up on the audience and is, is really engaging um from a body language standpoint and from his voice and everything and just particularly since he's a radio guy the way he can work his voice to engage an audience is just on a different level than most stand-up uh comics that are just starting out um 
So you have someone like high energy like Matt and you've seen his bits and then Joe Stoles, who you just brought up, Joe's a real low energy guy and his jokes are a lot more, they take a second, right? They're not quite as in your you, face. You get them. Yeah, yeah, you get them, but they're thinkers or sometimes they're based on, on some wordplay. Um, or he does a lot of this stuff where it's kind of you fill in the punchline. He doesn't give it to you. He gives you the setup. You and figure you it out figure on your the own. punchline on your own. Well, that's a completely different comedic energy than someone like Matt Collins. So if you've got those guys coming up back to back, your job as a host is to try to transition that. And there are times where you, it, it's difficult because you want to get up there and you can feel the energy from the crowd and you want to do your best bit, right? You want to go up and be like, I'm funny too, everybody. Cause that's that narcissistic attention whore thing that we all have. Uh, but your job as a host is to absolutely tamp that down. And then that's why when you, when you develop a reputation as a good host, it can be detrimental because, you know, other comics will see that and go, okay, you know how to work the room. You know how to bring people up and, and I'll say, you know, when to do time and when not to do time. And so it's not always easy because a lot of places you go, like either like the club owner will host and oh man <laughs> that can be murder on a regular uh, on a room or uh or sometimes promoters will try to host or you'll have an open micer right whoever whoever was the open micer that week that did the best then they'll go up and host and really depending on where they are in their career just kind of whether or not they understand kind of the the nuances of, of working a live audience and uh and performance is its whole separate thing right i mean you can be very funny in a small group of people but performance is a totally different thing so i'm gonna go ahead then and blame you for every show that i've hosted and didn't know when i was booking people how to put them because i had a really funny look i had john laplante who had only done a, you know, like maybe one or two open mics before that i had him host an event like an an, an after family show event so like a late night show yeah. at parkers um and the the audience was, was too drunk before we started <laughs> And so it became uh, some really, really great comedians battling pe- battling white chicks who were too drunk to, to manage their volume. Yeah, yeah. And so that was, so I take ownership of that, but I'm going to blame you okay. as well. I'll take the blame. I don't even think I was at that show, but you I'll, were take, not, I'll take the blame. You weren't, you weren't performing. You weren't, uh, you were, you know, you were probably off like doing dad stuff or asleep. Yeah, probably um, asleep. You know, being like a responsible grown up. Yeah. And, uh, well, also I took a little bit of a break. Um, I took, I kind of wasn't sure where I was. Uh, and how I was feeling about the comedy thing. Um, particularly, did you see the Hannah Gatsby special? Did you see Nanette, the the one that was she the, did? Where she spent the whole time talking about her sexual assault? Well, it wasn't the whole thing, but yeah, that's, that's kind of who... So what's, what was interesting about Nanette is that, like, her... Uh, the, the comedian's name is Hannah Gatsby, and uh, I was—I had never been aware of her. She's one of those people that was kind of big in the scenes for a long time. She's a working comic for a very long time, um, and her special itself was very funny. Her humor is kind of deadpan. It can be—you uh, know, she is a very funny comic, but the last 10 minutes of that is, the, is what everybody remembers, and it feels like much longer because of the emotional impact of it, and it probably is one of the most emotionally moving things I've seen probably in, in entertainment in the last, like, five years. Would you recommend watching it? I would recommend watching it simply because um, it's one, it's funny and two, it's powerful. And I think she says a lot of interesting thing, uh, interesting things. But the thing that kind of made me rethink things is she talks about how, because comedy at its very element is, is creating tension and then releasing tension, right? That's what laughter is. Um, And all comedy in any form is, is that, is that kind of uh, constant 
creation of tension and then releasing the tension through laughter. And she makes this whole point about how, but when you do that, you never actually resolve anything, right? Because releasing tension isn't resolution. And sometimes that tension is what creates the resolution of a, of a situation. And she put it in the context of her sexual assault and not just sexual assault, but physical assault in, in a few different areas. And she called back to jokes she had told earlier in the night that were jokes that were in that classic tension punchline release of tension setup and then went into this is what really happened that you know that's a story that that i tell on stage but this is the reality of that situation but for years she'd been telling on stage and it it didn't allow her to resolve the trauma of that and so it kind of took me aback i was not prepared for for that level of complexity you know to and to be challenged in that way and so i took a break from comedy for a while because i had my own shit that i was dealing with and working through and um but it really kind of made me think like, do I want to keep, cause a lot of my comedy is self-depreciating. Right. And it was, um, like a lot of comics, it was developed, my sense of humor developed as a defense mechanism. And so it really kind of made me take a, a step back from all of that and kind of say, well, do I really want to keep doing this? I, I had long ago given up any dreams of turning comedy into a career. Right. Um, uh, particularly as a dad, like the idea of spending 240 nights on the road does not appeal to me at all. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's so inconsistent and I'm good at my day job. I enjoy my day job. I, I found my career and what kind of brought me back into it was, um, actually it was Matt plant, uh, kind of reaching out at a time where I was kind of thinking about maybe performing again. So, so certainly not me when I got you at peak, I'm not doing this again. All right. <laughs> no, no. So by the way, so if you're listening at home, all of this could have been resolved if, uh, if Fred hadn't done any soul searching. Which, yeah. which, by the way, I'm very, I'm very grateful you did because it, it brought you back. And, and I, I feel very much the same way about, about DJing or any other kind of creative outlet. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 39. I'm pushing, I'm not doing any of this because I'm, I'm trying to, to make it my career. I have a career. I enjoy it. And I do it because I need the creative outlet. Yeah. Um, and so maybe, and is that what it is for you? Is it, was it for you being able to look back at it as, um, as like, this is my creative outlet and, and are you, are you back in it with more meaning? Yeah. Well, and also I decided to kind of realize that, you know, we're in this, uh, this age and economy right now where you can, you can have a side hustle and maybe you can make some money from it. And there very much is that creative outlet. I enjoy, I enjoy the five minutes before going on stage, everything that happens on stage, the five minutes afterwards, all the other stuff I could hit or miss. It's, I'm not a big fan of it. I'm, I'm not a super social guy as, uh, as you've experienced, yeah. <laughs> um, um, but it is a creative outlet for me. And, and, um, and since it's a podcast, I can say like, I, I became a miserable cunt when I, when I lost that outlet. Right. It yeah. was just one of those things where I just like, um, uh, my comedy gets decidedly bitter. My sense of humor gets decidedly bitter when I don't have that outlet for things. And so, um, and God bless my partner for never actually pointing it out to me um, and letting me kind of resolve my own stuff. But yeah, it is that creative outlet. I do enjoy the performance of comedy, but I kind of made the decision um, a few months ago that if I'm going to do this, then I'm going to treat it like a side hustle. I'm going to treat it like it's a part-time job. I develop, I created the website, which is nothing special, but it's there because if you want to look serious to a booker in the lower 48, you got to have a website. I did the Facebook page for the same reason. Thank you for the like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll post that, by the way, we'll post that on, sure. uh, I hate Facebook, yeah. but I will post that on the, yeah. the woke and baked Facebook page. Yeah, and I'm not a big, uh, I, I'm not super 
in my own personal Facebook, I think I'll, I'll go months without posting anything. And then uh, really, it's just a way it's more like a community bulletin board here than anything. Like I've thought so much about dropping the Facebook thing. But then I realized I would never have any idea what was going on in this community if it weren't for Facebook. Um, so, so my issue with Facebook yeah. is I, I, I'm part of a couple of groups. I've joined, I've joined meme groups. Meme groups are what do it for me. Sure, yeah. um, because everything else um, is, it's like a dumpster fire that, is not, <laughs> yeah. that isn't aware it's a dumpster fire. Oh, yeah. It's people arguing about, arguing with people either A, they're going to see and pretend the argument never happened, um, or B, getting into it with people that they've never met um, and have no intention of meeting and arguing about ideas that they're maybe not even really married to. Right. Right. Like these are, they're arguing for the sake of arguing and they're using a fake name to do it, which is sucks. You're, we've, we're basically back on message boards in, in a lot of ways. Sure. Like, like you are using your Facebook to advertise either A, how much of your, an asshole you are, or B, to complain about something rather than doing anything about it. Right. Um, we have people who will complain and argue about a service they received on Facebook at a place that they shouldn't be in the first place, sure. right? If you're going to, and I don't want to call anyone out, but if you're bitching about the service you received at Subway, maybe you should go to Jersey Subs. Um, because because the, the folks at Jersey Subs, those those folks, they're, they're, they're people that come, like, they're using that to maybe put their kid through dance, you know? Like, that's that's what that is, and that's that's why that exists. And the, the folks from Subway aren't, the folks that own, aren't, own Subway aren't necessarily reinvesting in the community yeah also i think like with any of those kind of like uh especially customer service or service oriented things right you never know when you're catching somebody in their day or what just happened to them like i get frustrated i get upset i'm the first guy to admit that like sometimes i get frustrated at the weirdest things just like small things will set me off but i try to remember and go back to that idea that like when i worked in customer service as a, you know in high school like one I probably gave awful service, but I honestly was trying to do the best I could. And, you know, if you catch somebody 10 minutes before closing on a, you know, on a job that they absolutely hate and that they, it's not paying them any kind of money and they're just doing it because they're just trying to squeak by or because mom and dad told them they need to get a job. They just finished cleaning the freaking board. They just got all of the freaking ingredients wrapped up because they thought they might get a chance to get out. And then your happy ass walks in and you're right. That's their job to serve you. But at the same time, I get why they're a little bit upset because I've been in that position. I've cleaned the blender at Orange Julius and gotten all the, the you know, the gaskets in the soaking solution. And then two minutes before you close, someone decides right then that's when they need to have their freaking smoothie fix. Yeah. And so, you know, and you try not, I mean, and also they're kids. Like if, if anybody held me accountable for something that I did when I was in high school, like working my part-time job after school or even like immediately out of high school, like. Like, and I was in the military then. I mean, you know, I mean, you're like, throwing like, kids on social yeah. media. Yeah. yeah. And then you're putting them on blast, like, uh, you know, in, in a, especially in a small town where everybody sees those things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. My problem with the social media thing is it's social and I'm not a social guy. And it's just one of those things where it's just like, uh, it was, it's a means to an end, right? It was yeah. a way to keep in touch with certain people. And then when I started the rugby team, it was a way to kind of promote and keep that thing going. And there are certain things I want to share with certain people. And, uh, you know, last year I went through my big Facebook purge. So if you survive that, 
Congratulations, if you, hearts, <laughs> if you hearts. if you didn't, uh, I'm sorry that you're probably just now finding out since Facebook doesn't tell you, uh, and I was never that active anyway. But it's a social aspect, and honestly, I think that if there weren't the like community bulletin boards or the honestly Peninsula Buy Sell Trade where you can find some screaming deals. Fuck yeah. yeah. Um, but if it weren't shout out to Peninsula Buy Sell Trade. Yeah. By the way. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to Peninsula Buy Sell Trade and anybody that posts where your garage sale is going to be. Thank you. Those those people have probably furnished Alaska or at least this part of Alaska for the at least the last they five years. They killed Craigslist up here. That's for sure. I don't know anyone that uses Craigslist because everyone's using that Peninsula Buy Sell Trade. Um, uh, once they got rid of the hookers on Craigslist. <laughs> you were done. done. That's it. But um, yeah, where's that page on Facebook? That's uh, on that page. Now. <laughs> uh, well, that's part of a secret group yeah. you got to join. And thank again, thank God for secret, secret groups. Secret groups, yeah. Uh, but no, it was just one of those things where uh, with the comedy stuff, I realized like if I'm going to do this, uh, I'm going to treat it like it's a side hustle and really take it seriously. And honestly, Matt Plant uh, did inspire me to kind of say, you know, I've been talking and bitching about how there's no comedy scene down here and there's no there's no open mics and I believe that there are there is a way to sustain that because honestly with the core group of like six or seven comics you can keep an open mic scene going and develop things a little bit more um, and and create a scene that can then combine with what they're doing up in Anchorage and kind of create a pipeline of talent back and forth. I'll sponsor. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, that's great. But really I think that there's a way to do it because honestly what else are these places doing around here in the winter nothing. time? Nothing. nothing. There's nothing. There's no risk involved. I'm not asking them to put money up front. I'm not asking them to pay anybody. I'm just asking them to give us a venue and an opportunity um, and, and maybe cut us, a, cut us some slack on what they're charging for their room that was going to sit empty that night anyway, right? Yeah. Um, because, I, but I've bitched and moaned about it just like everybody else and it was kind of talking with matt plant that i realized like you know what i should just shut up and fucking do something about it so i reached out to Soldatna community schools and joel todd over there and i'm going to be doing a five-week uh comedy workshop with the What's idea i think september late september um okay. i'll post something on my facebook page once it's kind of locked in stone we're still kind of hammering out the details but it'll basically go late september into late october um five weeks it'll go through the basics of of uh, how to find your voice, how to write basic bits, set structure, and then a performance element. And what we're hoping to do is partner with um, a local restaurant uh, in the area to be able to put on a small performance for the students. And, you know, they can bring their friends and family and all of that stuff. Um, to get a performance element together and then use that to kind of launch into a more consistent open mic, uh, open mic thing that'll allow other performers. Cause I know you, you've done stand up. You're a very funny guy. You, you, you message me about material and, and bits, but like, you're also a very busy guy. And so I want an outlet. Yeah. I think just like any of us, like if I, if I knew that like Saturday, one Saturday a month or one, or like the first Friday a month that I can go to, um, I can go to, to Michael's or I can go to Parker's or I can go to wherever it is. Yeah. Uh, and you know, like I can go there and I can work out my bullshit. Um, a it's therapeutic. Yeah. Like if, if you are, it, and it's getting for a lot of people, it's just doing something that you've wanted to do, uh, in front of people. So like, 
Yeah, I think that this. I think a, it's a great idea, and and b, it's something that that I I would love to participate in. Like I, um, I've tried in the past to 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 make this happen. I think that that you are a better person for that. That's like, that's like I don't know. Um, if you were to to try and set up like a rap night at Parker's, like it's not necessarily your world. No. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would suck. Yeah. My my world. I can make it. I can. Yeah. We can make that happen. Yeah. Um, but you know, like that's not my world. I'm just a guy that wants to learn how to be funny in, in front of a group of people yeah. um, and or, or just be better at public speaking yeah. which is the other thing yeah well and then there's a lot of people that they want to give it a shot and I mean there's a lot of talented people on the peninsula every one of these you know hooligans years ago did a stand-up comedy contest and everyone else that was on that night had never done comedy before but there were some genuinely funny people I mean they you know they were raw but they were genuinely funny uh, the thing that Chelsea McDonald put together with Kenai performers there was genuinely funny people there and they were different people you know and they were genuinely funny and once again there was you know it just takes refining it's just like anything else the first time you do it you're probably not going to be a prodigy at it right i mean every everyone sucks the first yeah, time yeah. yeah but there are some people that suck a little bit less or you can kind of see the potential in, in their material and their and you know sometimes you have different levels right you have guys where they have their voice they know exactly who they are on stage they know exactly how the audience sees them and they know how to structure a joke to fit that persona for them because it's different than who you are walking around in real life. They just need to refine the material a little bit, right? They just need to do a little more editing. And then you got people with the material solid. They just haven't found who they are yet on stage. And that's such an important element of comedy. Like I said, there have been bits I've had to abandon simply because the way the joke is structured, the way it's written and the way you can make it funny, it doesn't fit what the audience sees me as and what I come across as on stage. And therefore it never gets the reaction I want. Right. Uh, there's a comedy, there's a comic in Anchorage and I won't, uh, put him out by name, but he's a very likable dude. He comes across as just one of the most likable people on the planet, but he tells a lot of jokes about how like, this is back when he was single. I think he's, he's got a, a partner now, but back when he was single about just kind of being at home lonely all by himself and his sadness, which he wanted to come across as funny, but because he just is this nice, adorable guy on stage, just everyone's, just, everyone's just going, oh, which is not the reaction he's looking for. And it was just yes. like, like, yeah, like you're going to, I don't know what you need to do to find a way to make that, like the audience just dislike you just enough. To not make them sympathize so much with you, right? He's got to throw in something racist. I think at the very beginning, he's got to say something. But it's, it's about, but he has to be racist against a group that isn't, like, well represented in Alaska, like the Amish. Right. He could shit on the Amish. Yeah. Not, but, like, specifically, like... Like, like the Puerto Rican Amish, you know, because <laughs> um, I'm fairly certain there's it's not like a huge community. By the way, shout out to all the Puerto Rican Amish that are listening at home right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Amish <laughs> listening to the podcast on their on their devil devices, <laughs> on their devil yeah. devices. Um, but everyone out on Rumspringa, all the Puerto Rican Amish out on Rumspringa. Shout out to you guys who who are about to get shit on by this Anchorage comedian, right? Yeah, um, but no, who shall remain nameless. You know, and so a lot of it is kind of figuring out that stuff, and that's the stuff that I spend a lot of time uh, thinking about, and and have, I've had a lot of conversations about with comics that have um, that are far better and funnier than I am, and it's one of those things where you get a group of comics together, they inevitably talk comedy, and so. Um, so I figured, well, what if I can, you know, give, give a safe outlet, a venue where you're not immediately going to be asked to go on stage, you know, that same night, um, and then help people work through some of those things, work through some of that material. And in the same time, I mean, it's, it's not completely, uh, 
altruistic because I'm serving this other benefit that I want, which is to help create a comedy scene down here. Because what I would love to see is more of a format where comics can kind of develop that traditional structure that you would find in a place like the lower like you know when i was coming up in seattle where you do your open mics and then from an open mic you get a chance to host and then from the hosting gig you get a chance to feature so that you can build up the goal for every stand-up comic is to build up to an hour-long set so that because that's really where bookers are going to reach out and look for you that's where you can really say hey if i've got an hour it's consistent it's funny i know it back and forth i'm a professional at what i do um than bookers in the lower 48 where you have the potential to make okay money particularly if it's a side gig or get noticed um that's what i would like to see because the anchorage comics the thing about all of those guys they're hustling all of them are just hustling i mean the fact that cast put together a freaking comedy festival like last year and then she's in fact i gotta get my submission in for this year um and then is doing it again this year i mean that and is a phenomenal amount of work and 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 um, developing relationships and money. I mean, it's and and commitment on her part to do something like that to create that to create that scene. But for all the hustling that they do, it's really difficult. Venues in Anchorage, particularly, they're so risk averse and there's so many options for things. And everyone knows live bands are safe, right? So a lot of these venues don't take the risk and reach out and allow the comics to do things. You know, Vans Dive Bar lets them do an open mic, but you know it's very hard for them to get an hour of stage time anywhere and if you can't get an hour of stage time you're not going to develop an hour of material because it takes work to put sets together uh, that being said there are comics that could go up and just with the material that they have could put together an hour long set easy but there's there's fewer opportunities for them to do that kind of thing in alaska in general and what i'd like to see is the peninsula start to develop into something where that's a potential because i do think venues for as risk as averse as they can be down here are less risk averse than anchorage simply because there's fewer options for them down here than there are in anchorage there's a garage band you know there's a dime a dozen of them in, in anchorage there are fewer here it's you know and so venues uh there are more venues than there are performers and i think that that's why the peninsula might be a nice uh a nice opportunity to kind of develop that kind of scene where comics can come down and, and work on a half an hour consistently you know and get in front of an audience that they're not that isn't following them from open mic to open mic to show so that they can kind of work on that too and it's once again none of it's altruistic because it's serving my same purpose right what i want to do my ultimate goal is to get an hour of clean material an hour of blue material because I work kind of in between both worlds. Um, and really, it's two thirds of it's the same material. It just in one you get to swear, and the other one you just find more creative swear words, uh, you know, or swear word replacements. But to get an hour clean and an hour not clean because that gives you the maximum opportunity to get on as many shows as you can get, um, and then hopefully start working uh, a little more consistently in the lower 48. Um, that's ultimately my goal, and all of these things are an effort to make that goal happen but if it helps other people along if it helps promote someone like matt plant who's out there hustling every day trying to get entertainment for people on the peninsula if i can be on a show with him and that allows me to you know to create this symbiotic relationship you know that's what i want to do if i can work with you and 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 you know uh and utilize your knowledge your expertise and your 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 relationships to kind of help build that like that's what you got to do if you want to try to build something and so that's that's what i really committed to myself this this year is to kind of say all right if i'm going to do this i'm not going to half-ass it anymore i'm going to really put 
effort into it um and and see what i can do with it and see if i can help develop something you know it's the same thing with the rugby team i love playing rugby but there was no rugby team so i got a wild hair and decided i'd give it a shot but without the support that i got from anchorage and without those key individuals stepping up here it never would have gotten off the ground and there were plenty of times i've gotten discouraged when you know i show up and it's just one other dude to practice and and we're done and i'm pretty sure that's going to happen with the comedy thing too but uh but i also think the that the audiences on the peninsula are ripe for it i i agree we um we did some shows we did some comedy shows we did some family comedy at some of the the local mexican restaurants and then we did like the the 21 and up shows uh, afterwards at parker's and they were there were people that were always coming through it was always it, they were consistently packed people are hungry for entertainment what a the mistake that I made was trying to do two, sh- like doing two shows at night, one of them much later at a at at, uh, at a bar, you know, when people were already like good and drunk, and and the audience, some people were fucking it up for other members of the audience, yeah. And uh, so I like I take ownership for that. Yeah. Also, um, it's but it's one of those things where sometimes those shows can be a lot of fun. Cass loves those kind of shows because Cass normally this was not an instance. This was no. This was because this happened a couple times in a row at Parker's and then it, it I think for her it was um it was a pain in the ass because it had become part of the set because it was there inevitably there was somebody who was disrespectful and she had to be mean to that person and sometimes it's okay to be mean to somebody who's really fucking it up for everyone we had a dude that um we call him leather duster guy uh, and he is no longer allowed at Parker's when when we do comedy if he comes in he's out I don't give a fuck yeah um but then, but then there are other people who just came out for a good time, got too drunk, and then ended up getting flamethrowed. Yeah. And so, and then, and it's not fair to the comedian who, you know, then has to, now they've got to deal with that shit. Like, they fucked, like, they they went out to hurt somebody's feelings. Yeah. Um, you know, but at the same time, uh, she's at work, right? She's, she's painting. Like, she's, she's painting for everybody. Yeah. And so, if someone in the audience wants to make that painting all about them, um, well, that's not necessarily what the artist is trying to do. They're painting a picture for everybody. Yeah. Um, but you decided that you needed to be the center of attention at that particular moment. And now she's got to tell you that you look like a Fraggle Rock character in a blanket. Right. Um, you know, like she's she's got to cut your throat in public that's not something she necessarily wants to do no and it totally changes the energy uh, of a set because you ever been in a bar right after there's a fight and then like it's the vibe is just gone like, it's off yeah, it's yeah completely gone and then you know it, it then it becomes the whole thing becomes about that experience whether or not you call back to it or not like uh I've, I've never understood the mentality of hecklers. I just don't get it because I don't know of a single time in the history of comedy where heckling has ever been encouraged, has ever been seen as something that it's okay to engage in. And yet every time I talk to people about the fact that I've done stand-up or I'm doing a stand show, it's like, oh, well, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to mean to do it, but I'm going to go say it. I'm going to mess with you. I'm going to say, I have to say something. That's part of it, right? And it's like, no, that's not part of it. Like in what other performance like venue where you have somebody who has like that's why there's only one microphone and that's why we have it because we're the people being whether regardless of our level of experience we're the people who are saying yeah i'm going to come up here and do this 
but I've never understood the mentality of a heckler. I mean, I, I, it's just one of those things where I just don't understand because you don't go to like your, your local community theater production of Willy Wonka and decide I'm going to fuck everybody up. You know, it's just like, I don't understand that mentality. And yet in this performance, there's something about stand up. I think that just encourages, I think it's part of it is that good standups can make the audience feel like they're part of a conversation, right? That yeah. the story is being told to them um, and that they're part of it, but it's a, but it's a very passive participation still. And yet, uh, but it's more active than other forms, I think of, of, of live performance. And so, uh, so I think that that plays into it, but I've just never understood the mentality. I've never gotten why some people truly do believe they're making that that is their job is to go and yell at a comic or talk loudly or be part of it. Venues like Parker's, it's always challenging because there is no stage. The stage element sometimes can combat that a little bit. Um, but, but, uh, and then Parker's too, it's always that mix of like, right. There are people that showed up specifically for the comedy show. And then there's about an equal number and sometimes more that showed up just because Parker's where they go to get a drink and you get a whole different mix bag when you're, when you're dealing with that situation. I like Parker's because you've got the separation, right? If you don't want to be here for the comedy show, awesome. Go to the other side of the bar where it's not going to be bothering you and where you're not going to be bothering anybody else. Um, but. But yeah, I could see that, to, like, I didn't realize it had gotten that bad that night because it can definitely completely throw. And then you as a comic aren't having fun anymore. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, and that translates because you, and, and then after that, you will always have like drunk folks that want to talk business, which is the craziest thing. Cause we had a, there, there was a chick that was heckling her that was with, that was with a heckler, a chick that was with, uh, one of the hecklers who after the show was like trying to talk business to Cass and it's like to, to get her to, 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 to do one of her events. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I do this thing and we think that you'd be great at it but like the drunk chick who was screaming and making an ass of herself she was with you right. you fucking encouraged it right. um, and then like it's, 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 that's one of the shitty things about comedy um, at least the live performance of comedy um, is that you know, when you talk about it being a conversation but it's really a one way conversation yeah um, and and people are showing up to to listen and because they there there is the laughter yeah there is that 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 participation um that sometimes feel that people feel the need to say that wasn't fun or people get offended right that's the other thing is people people get offended and then they have to voice their um their offendedness as they you know like in, as you're trying to tell a fucking joke right um which, which, by the way, um, I throw this, I, I mentioned that to, to mention this. I had a, a woman once when I was DJing who asked me to play some music for her to dance to. Um, and that's not necessarily, I'm a terrible DJ because that's not what I was there for. Um, I, was, I was there to save you from the bullshit that you were going to listen to. So I, I played the song that I'd been dying to play forever. It was, um, it was UGK's Hairy Asshole. Um, and, and in that line, uh, rest in peace, Pimp C. Uh, the man says, I've got a young yellow woman she's 20 years old and when she bends it over you can see her hairy asshole mm. 
Once they got to the hook, she wasn't dancing for very long. Sure. But I got to go back to playing like dark, depressing rap music. Nice. Which was why yeah. I was there. Nice. Yeah, yeah. that does sound like your vibe. Yeah. Uh, no, I do think like with stand-up in particular, because some of it is that it's inherent in the art form, right? Because you do, you are talking directly to an audience, right? But, uh, and then in, in a lot of cases, I, like particularly in my sense, I will ask the audience questions. You're not supposed to really answer the question, right? Maybe yeah. you give me a yes, no, or like a woo, and then we're good and we move on. That's the implied contract, like when we're doing this thing. But some people do take that seriously. Like now they've, like they're going to make it funnier by like shouting out something that they thought of in the moment that's funny. And I'll, I'll admit, sometimes hecklers, you can have a witty heckler and they can be kind of funny. But the difference is, is like you wouldn't do that at any other performance venue. But I think like with comedy more than anything else, you are up there. And the audience believes that you are being you, right? It is performative. And some, some stand-ups, who they are on stage is much closer to who they are in their real life than other stand-ups. But it's a performance. When I'm up there, I'm not being Fred, the guy you're going to run into on the street, because that guy probably isn't going to talk to you a whole lot and, and is probably going to like walk away really quickly at some point. Um, because it's just, it's not, I'm not a big, I'm not a good off the cuff social interaction kind of dude. Um, you get me talking about something I care about. It's a totally different thing, but, um, which you've, uh, I think been on the, on the wrong end of a couple of times, <laughs> but, um, but for the most part, like that's not who I am on stage is not who I am in real life, but in, in stand up more than any other performance, that's kind of what they want to believe. Right. Um, and then in a lot of ways, in order for stand-up work, the audience kind of needs to believe that. That's why uh, Larry the Cable Guy's popularity took a big hit when they found out that, oh, that's not who that guy is. That's a character he's playing. Now, he's no less or more funny, depending on what you think about Larry the Cable Guy. He's performing as a character, right? And whether you find, and if you found that funny, then you should still find it funny, whether or not you believe he's the same guy. For some reason, in stand-up, it's a totally different thing. Right? If he was doing sketch comedy... Then it would be fine. But as a stand-up, there's this implied, like, you're seeing an authentic version of myself. And I think that lends to the audience's, like... For the record, if I ever see Jeff Dunham and he doesn't have a fucking puppet with him, I'm punching Yeah, I mean, the puppets are, I mean... He can't, he can't... He's just gotta gotta wander around with, what was it, is it Peanut? Is that the the main puppet he uses? I I, I I don't know, I don't watch a lot of Jeff Dunham. There was a very brief period when I was a kid, uh, uh, growing up, kind of watching the old... um, the what did they call them like tonight at the improv night at the improv you used to have it on a and e like it was just stand up right uh at the at the improv in new york and he was on and there was a very brief period like i think all kids where ventriloquism just blew my mind so uh i was i wouldn't say i was a jeff dunham fan ever but i do remember seeing him and thinking just like 14 year old fred found him incredibly funny and, and I think that 14-year-old Fred was, was supposed to. Yeah. It's like, um, I don't know if you ever had any like the, any puppets or anything. Like, I, I had string puppets. No, marionettes freaked me the crap out. Yeah. 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 So, I grew up in, in uh, Europe. My mom was a teacher, and she bought a lot of the, those yeah. little trinkets. So, I'd mess around with the marionettes, yeah. string puppets, whatever they are. Um, and just like, and it wasn't long before, just like Howard Stern, I was making them fuck. Right. You know, sure. like, because that's, I think, what you're supposed to do as a 14-year-old. Yeah. Like, um, if you can control something else from the outside you're like a like a god character of something whether or not it's it's real um you are making it you're you're controlling its actions um and so yeah i can see why that like as a 14 year old that's really appealing um but that that sort of comedy like that's not necessarily things that that make me laugh like the the 
the, the, the bomber guy and it didn't that, no things that are broad caricature tend yeah, not yeah, to make me like, laugh unless you're doing it to subvert the caricature right yeah. in which case then it becomes meta on a whole different level and i love that kind of stuff but yeah i think stereotypes like he does the jalapeno thing i think where it has like the broad mexican accent and like eh, i mean not my thing and it's not that i'm offended by it it's more that just like it's like fart humor right there's a way to do fart humor really well where it can be funny but most of the time just it's it's pretty lazy and that's what i think about a lot of the like that kind of stuff but um but also the talent of ventriloquism blows my mind like i'm, I'm a big fan of just kind of recognizing that like not my thing totally some shit takes talent but it's but there's talent there right um and so uh and sometimes you can like some ventriloquists they do a lot of stuff with witty banter and what they like i get it because what they did is they built an act where the other person gets to have the perfect comeback so you can tell your funny thing i mean it's brilliant if you think about it right because like uh in what other circumstance because you could you do kind of dialogue-based humor off the cuff with an audience member and have them say exactly what you need them to say so that you can say your witty comeback like there is schizophrenic. Yeah, that's about it. But even then the audience gets confused because they don't know who you're talking as anymore. But <laughs> um but so like there are times where ventriloquists they can have like especially if it's funny banter back and forth, it can be pretty I I get it. It can be humorous. But yeah, with Jeff Dunham specifically, he does a lot of the stuff with the just kind of that broad caricature. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm not for sure if you, I want to throw this up because we, we've been here for a little over an hour sure. and, and I want, I do want to get to your top five comics dead or alive. But before I get to that, I, I want to ask you if you are familiar with a current situation in comedy involving one comedian who's no longer with us and Paul Mooney. Uh, recently, um, Richard Pryor's former security guard did an interview where he said he was offered a million dollars by Richard to uh, to put out a hit on Paul Mooney. Are you familiar I with any of that? I am not familiar with any of this, no. Okay, well then I will just, we, we, we won't even, you can... I'll make myself familiar though. That make like yourself familiar with it because um, Paul Mooney is one of my favorite comedians of all time. He's, he's the... Oh my, oh my gosh, Negro Domus, all of his, the, the, the stuff that he wrote uh, for prior, uh, the, the prior uh, SNL bit with um, uh, Chevy Chase. Go back and watch that. If you were on YouTube, look up Chevy Chase, uh, Richard Pryor, Saturday Night Live, and that is Paul Mooney. And you will say thank you for everything, America. Um, but, but yeah, so, so apparently, apparently uh, according to Richard Pryor's former security guard, and um, not poo-pooed by Richard Pryor Jr., sure. um, there was a situation that arose where Richard Pryor offered his security guard a million dollars to kill Paul Mooney. So are we talking like whacked out of his mind on coke Richard Pryor, or are we talking about kind of later in his life after he got a little bit clean Richard Pryor? Um, yeah, I'm not 100% sure. Because I could believe definitively that Richard crazy Richard Pryor, you know, light himself on fire Richard Pryor. Like, that era Richard Pryor, I absolutely could see it, simply because, like, but at that point, like, you can't hold anybody accountable for what they do when they're on much freaking coke. I don't don't know if it was that or if it was post-trip to Africa, um, Richard Pryor, because I'm not sure. I believe it was the live on Sunset Strip. It was after he came back from from Africa. He had that 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 experience. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. If, if it was, if it was after that, that'd be a little um, more surprising. I think it would be very serious. Yeah. Like I would definitely pay a whole lot of attention. Yeah. I should probably look at that yeah. um, to see when it was. But yeah, according to Paul Mooney's security guard and Richard Pryor Jr., they did not poo-poo that, yeah. that any of this happened. Yeah. There was no denials um, on. Paul Mooney denied it, um, but I wouldn't have. I wouldn't expect him him not to. But they they were still. I, I saw pictures. He and Mooney were close at the close at the end. So I mean, like whatever it was, they got past it. Yeah. Um, you know, well, which makes me think more. It was kind of whacked out on his mind on Coke, Richard Pryor, rather than uh, rather than somewhat lucid Richard Pryor. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, it's, it's a funky situation yeah. when you read into it. It's like, okay, yeah. you know. Um, but with that being said, um, you know, like. He, Paul Mooney, might have done something a very long time ago uh, with someone who may or may not have been a consenting adult, mm-hmm. and Richard felt a certain way about it. I see. Yeah. So those things happen. Yeah. Um, sadly, yeah. Sadly, those things happen too often. <laughs> um, and Paul Mooney might be one of those dudes. Um, However, we'll see how it all plays out because apparently it's something that happened about 30 years ago as well. And towards the end, Paul and Richard were, you know, they were they were cool. Yeah. I guess there there were some pictures of Paul pushing uh, Richard around. Yeah. Um. So you didn't know about that. Let's go straight into the top five, and then we'll go back to enjoying our Labor Day. Um. Top five Dead or Alive comics. Yeah, it's putting yeah, me on the spot because yeah. no particular order. Oh yeah, no particular order. So we let's talk about Richard Pryor because you brought him up. So Richard Pryor, I think, is one of the greatest stand-ups um, in history, and especially at a time where stand-ups were allowed to really be stand-ups. Right? Jokes didn't have to come every thirty seconds, um, and, and I think that he did bring an. He was just a funny guy. Uh, Richard Pryor, going back and watching those old sets. Um, Absolutely. And I remember uh, listening to his old albums when I was a kid and was very much uh, one of the reasons I thought, like, maybe I could do something like that. Right. Because, uh, I mean, he would do these, you know, he he's known for a lot more of his edgier bits. But the funniest thing Richard Pryor used to do for me when I was younger was he would speak as inanimate objects or animals like he would he, like he would put himself into the mind of an inanimate object when he talked about his heart attack i think he talked about he was just walking across the lawn one day and his heart just was like stop breathing motherfucker and like, like that idea to me as a kid just made me laugh because i'd never heard anybody do something like that where like there's this inanimate object that's actually speaking to you um and he does this whole bit about these dogs that he got and wanting to just fuck everything and like yeah yeah but can we fuck it like yeah yeah so Richard Pryor, definitely. Um, I like a lot of the old school, like Bob Newhart back in the day when he was doing his telephone conversation bits. If you ever, like, if you've never seen them, Bob Newhart's original shtick was he would do telephone conversations um, or one-sided conversations where he's the, he's one side. Um, his, uh, his Lincoln bit is the kind of really famous one where he's, he, he's, uh, He's on the phone with Lincoln, but as Lincoln's like press manager before the Gettysburg address. And it's, they're just hilarious. The timing of it, the, the way that jokes, cause especially standups back then, they were allowed to really let a joke breathe. They really were allowed to get into a premise. And sometimes the laugh would come like a minute into a bit. 
but you could see all the work that they'd done up into that moment to make that bit funny and audiences allowed for it like it just it, it's kind of like watching older movies sometimes where like you don't have to be stimulated every possible like every minute of every second so dialogue could breathe a little bit more um bob newhart's like stand up particularly the stuff the phone bits are just absolutely hilarious and there were it was one of the first ones I was exposed to because my dad found found it funny. And so, you know, you're, a lot of the comedy you're introduced to when you're younger is the stuff that your parents listen to. And he had a lot of the, the old Bob Newhart albums on. Shout out, uh, out to Dr. Demento. Yeah, yeah exactly. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, Bob Newhart definitely up there in my top five. Um, more modern comics. I think Tom Segura is freaking brilliant he's so consistently funny and he i envy him because so much of his comedic styling is he tells stories and uh it's something i'm trying to work into my stand-up but it's much more difficult because when you're hanging out with friends it's those stories that make them laugh it's not like i'm an observational comic with my friends right um but it's hard for me to translate some of those stories into making them funny on stage. I can kind of get the bare, the bare elements out of them, but I'm still struggling trying to figure out exactly how to make them work on stage. And Tom Segura is, I think, just a great storyteller. Just absolutely hilarious. Um, he's done, I think, three Netflix specials in the last few years, and all of them I would highly recommend. Um, so Tom right now is one of the guys that uh, I'm watching a lot of. Um, let's see, who else? Oh, Mike Birbiglia. Yeah, Mike Birbiglia is one of those, he's one of those comics where you're like, oh, I've seen that guy. But uh, he does a lot more one-man show kind of stand-up, but it's all really funny. And he did one, like once you start studying the craft of stand-up and comedy and, and writing, you kind of recognize how brilliant it was to do this. But the last two specials he did were much more one-man shows, but it's, it's the context of he's telling a broad story, right? That he starts off talking about this car accident his wife got into. And then he uses that as the launch pad for every other bit that he does. So he'll have, you know, he'll do this thing, my wife got in this car accident, and then it would be like, hey, have you ever noticed that this, this, this? And then he'll do a bit, and then he brings it right back to that broader story of the car accident, and then moves it forward. And so you realize that not only is he telling each of these individual little stories and bits through this thing, but that the whole the whole special tells this overarching, broader narrative um, uh, story. Like a good record is. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. absolutely amazing. Like, you know, some of those old LPs where it's like each song feeds in the next song that, you know, individually, maybe they're not so great, but taken as a whole. Yeah, it's like, it's exactly like that. Um, Chloe, Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thumb, uh, from uh, Mother Love. Yeah, okay. Um, and then I'll throw John Mulaney out there, somebody because uh, he's, he's, my kids love him. Um, I. Uh, I particularly liked um, New Kid in Town uh, or New in Town, um, but John Mulaney is, I think, is another one of stand-ups that's really hitting a stride right now. And okay. um, and then honorable mention to Paul F. Tompkins because he's just brilliant. Voiceover work, stand-up comedy. Paul F. Tompkins, amazing. Paul F. Tompkins. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like, I realized I said a bunch of names that had no frame of reference for you. That's <laughs> you this you were this is you know like this is your bag though. Right. It's kind of when you drop more a more esoteric rap 
group yeah. or rapper that I'm not familiar with. Yeah. That's, that, this is why I have you on. <laughs> All right. If you just said like Lenny Bruce and Lenny Bruce is great, by the way. Um, How to talk dirty and influence people. I read it when I was 18. It changed my life. Yeah. Um, uh, but Lenny Bruce, you know, and and it's easy to say Lenny Bruce and Richard Pryor. Carlin. And, and Carlin's Carlin. always in those conversations. And, um, yeah. But it's but it's it's much. It's like saying okay, well, you know, you put your list of your top five MCs and everyone throws in like Eminem and Rakim and so or Biggie and Tupac, right? Everybody throws in those names, but there are so many other guys with these these ridiculous and elaborate track records of, of songs and albums See, and features. So here's, that, your, here's your gender bias showing again, because I think Missy Elliott deserves to be on absolutely way up there on anybody's list as far as best MCs. I, I think that I think that she's definitely more creative than pretty much um, anyone who came before or came after. And I think that you, um, every once in a while, you run into artists who have, have these great symbiotic relationships with their partners. Like she, uh, the work that she did with, with Timbaland yeah. from... 1996 to about 2003, 2004, they started doing this this really cool like resurgence of early 80s hip hop, and it was and they were using those beats and they were timberlending those beats, um, like uh, and and that sort of. That for me was like peak Missy. Mm-hmm. Like Missy is a great artist. Yeah. Uh, the visuals that that, that Hype Williams put in, in those early music videos, it's incredible. Oh, yeah. Um, and she was a. But the thing is, she was able to put herself out there because previous to that, um, she had been shit on by the music industry. Mm-hmm. Um, she was. She had been in a. In a um, I believe it was Devonte Swing, one of the members of Jodeci's like uh, his stable of artists. She did a feature for. Um, a Raven Simone song, um, but when it came time to do the video, and this is before Missy Elliott was Missy Elliott, they got a much skinnier girl in the video. And I think that when you have situations like that, um, you get an artist who's going to pop out and say, "Fuck you, I am who I am." Yeah. And so because you've got, because you have her, because you have Missy Elliott, you're you're allowed to have every other female who's who's come up after her and not tried to be a sex object. Yeah. Uh, and before that, you had you had female artists like MC Light, who was definitely not trying to be a sex or object, Queen she, or Queen yeah. Latifah. These were just rappers who were really good at what they really good artists who were good at what they were doing. And then you have uh, Missy, who took a lot of like weird sort of sci-fi references and then threw them into music with with someone who was equally as high and creative as her. Um, and they made magic. But also, I think she kind of rejected the idea that sex that sexy was any one specific thing and she was kind of like if you if you listen you know they just did the vmas just did that whole missy elliott like yeah. uh video vanguard award which they've got to change the name of absolutely not be the michael jackson video vanguard <laughs> anymore but like um so i've been listening to a little bit more missy lately and she, it's funny she pops up on my workout playlist consistently she should oh yeah Work yeah, it. yeah yeah um but uh but if you think about it, she was like, there was much more of that body positivity coming from her when body positivity just, it wasn't a thing. It was just like, it was just like, fuck you for thinking I'm not sexy because there's plenty of people out there that do. And I'm just going to own that. And, um, 
and didn't run away from this sex appeal. She just kind of she just said, look, if you if the record industry doesn't and the and the video music industry decides that I'm not sexy enough for them, that I'm going to show them that no, there's plenty of people that are all about what I'm putting down. One of my favorite Missy Elliott moments was uh, was when she lost a lot of weight and it was it was about health, right? right. Like it was, she wasn't like showing off her ass. Didn't she have like a diabetes scare? I don't, I don't, I'm not 100% sure. I might be racist for saying that now that I think. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was a diabetes Um, But she came back and she was much healthier, but there was this shot in in one of her videos where the dude, like a dude is drinking and he brings the glass up to her face and all of a sudden, like, Missy is Halle Berry. (laughs) And then he just has, he shoots shoots back to a look at the guy's face and just kind of says, fuck it. It's like, I I appreciate that honesty and that kind of real. Well, I love the song Gossip, so... God bless oh, that. shit. Yeah. Um, there's so many. You can, you can point at Missy Elliott and, and, and Timberland, and you can point to, like, at least five things in, in music culture that are, are better because they were here. Well, and the because they worked together. Oh, absolutely. Um, that... Um, and and if you look at at modern rap, um, and you see you'll see that with a, a woman by the name of Rhapsody and uh, a producer by the name of Ninth Wonder out of uh, out of South Carolina. I want to say South Carolina, probably fucking that up. Uh, Ninth Wonder is one of these producers who, when he works with with artists, he's kind of producing their entire album. He's done that with guys like uh, Murs on the West Coast, on the East Coast, uh, a lot of Duck Down, well Duck Down guys um, like uh, uh, Buckshot from uh, Black. Moon. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but um, well, Charlie Murphy was in one of his videos. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Bring it back to the comedy thing. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, um, you you have producers, and then when they work with artists uh, specifically, you get sort of the best thing from them. And you you find, uh, you know, more recently, artists creating entire records, uh, rappers with producers. Uh, DJ Muggs of Cypress Hill has like 15 records that he's done uh, with solo artists. It'll be so-and-so versus DJ Muggs, like uh, Planet Asia or Ill Bill or, or Edo um, or, or Crime Apple, these other new artists, these guys who, which is very cool, because if you're a guy like DJ Muggs, who's been doing this for you know 20 yeah, years yeah. and you've got a billion dollars, you produce Jump Around and Insane in the Brain. You are not moving in with mom ever right, again. Yeah. You, yeah, um, just on the royalties, just, the continuous royalties. Yeah. Um, but those dudes uh, producing new artists, the guys that you haven't heard of, I think that like that's where we're at now and I'm okay with yeah, that. Yeah, no, I like, think that's how it the, should be. Absolutely. Yeah. What I want to know is who owns the royalty for the record scratch that's in every like... Uh, every uh, like movie right, trailer, yeah, scratch. the generic record scratch when it's like that's a keyboard setting. Is it? I'm fairly certain that's a keyboard setting. Um, because oh, I remember like in the mid '90s, keyboards started coming out and there was like a scratch yeah. feature, and there's like three or four different scratches, and they were very sort of. But it's generic. in every movie trailer, like particularly any like party comedy or college comedy movie trailer. That's that and that, that sound of the needle yeah. scratching yeah. off the vinyl. Yeah. yeah. When the dean thought everything it was just going to be another normal school here, but yeah, and then yeah. he wasn't ready for Lambda House. Yeah. I feel like if you own the royalty on that record scratch. You're golden. You're, yeah, that's it. You're done. It's like the, what is it? The, that urban legend about the dude that, in, in, that patented the little dots in the road. 
I don't know that. You don't know that. No, I don't know if it's true or not. It just has all the ringing of urban legend that like uh, some guy patented the the, the, the reflective, the reflective dots. dots, and that instead of selling the patent for X number of dollars, he gets a royalty based on how many of them go down. Uh, on the road. Once again, it just reeks of urban legend. Don't know if it's true or not. I hope that's true. I, true. I fucking hope yeah. it's true. Because that's, that was a forward thing. That's like George Lucas taking the merchandising rights level of like forethought. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Bless his heart. Again, never having to move back in with no. mom. <laughs> All right. Um, now he just Fred. looks like someone's mom. <laughs> There's there become there comes a point in white guys' lives um, where you you start to look like somebody's mom or or a female gym teacher. Oh, thank goodness that all I have to look forward to is looking like a wise kung fu master at some point in my in my aging. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's cool. You got the you got the salt and pepper beard, which is nice. Right. I just need to go to longer so I can stroke it. Oh shit! Yeah, maybe wax up the tips of the, the mustache down. Oh, yeah, Fred, thank you so much for your time. If folks are interested in joining the uh, rugby team, or actually more importantly, if folks are interested in, in uh, signing up for your class. Yeah, so for the comedy workshop, like I said, we're working out the details with uh, Salon and Community Schools, but it'll be in the Community Schools brochure. Um, and then uh, I'll also post it up on Facebook. So just keep an eye on the Salon and Community Schools program. Even if you're not going to do the 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 comedy workshop there's a lot of really great classes for folks there and that's a program that the city of soldana offers um every i think twice a year um and it's something that people should take advantage of because there's i mean they do taekwondo there's i think just adult rec basketball there's a storytellers thing that's going on there's all sorts of really cool classes that just gives you something to do in the middle of uh, winter and and uh, educate yourself or learn a new skill. So, yeah. Yeah. do something this one. Yeah. Don't get stuck in the house. Yeah, but for the workshop, it'll be in there, and then I'll put a post on the Facebook site too. Um, and I'll probably try to hustle around and put some flyers and shit up too. Right. Fred, thank you so much yeah, for your thank time. Thank you. Alaska Marijuana Control Board Cannabis Use Warning. Marijuana has intoxicating effects and maybe habit forming and addictive. Marijuana impairs concentration, coordination, and judgment. Do not operate a vehicle or machinery under its influence, under its influence. There are health risks associated with consumption of marijuana. For use only by adults 21 and older. Keep out of the reach of children. Marijuana should not be used by women who are pregnant or breastfeeding. Red Run Cannabis Company, license 3A10056. Red Run Cannabis Cultivators, 4A1052. Red Run Cannabis Cultivators, 5A19372. 5455 Kenai Spur Highway, 12156 Kenai Spur Highway, Kenai, Alaska, 99611.